Hey everybody, I am Kayla Doan and welcome to Growth with Girlfriends. This is a space where we share what we're learning and what's working on our path towards creating our best lives. Today, I'm excited for you to meet my friend Joanne. Joanne has an accomplished professional career as a vice president of IT and in her free time gives back by teaching financial independence courses. Every time I spend time with Joanne, I walk away making changes to my financial planning and to my goals that give me more time back in my life and make me more money. Like she's kind of one of the best kinds of friends that you can have. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation today. And in this conversation, we answer budgeting and financial planning questions that we've received from the Growth with Girlfriends community. A few things you'll learn are... One, that you don't need a lot of money to make a lot of money. Two, how compound interest might influence your family planning. Three, how to test drive which mortgage limit is right for your lifestyle, regardless of what your mortgage broker might be telling you. Four, that most of us will be gig economy workers in the future and how to budget when our income and expenses fluctuate. And five, common apps that help and hurt your savings. Two quick notes. When you hear the term savings vehicle in this episode, this is an umbrella term for all the ways that you can make money on your money, like savings accounts, investments, real estate, etc. Secondly, we are not sponsored by any of the tools and platforms that we recommend. These are just what work for us and we would love to share them with you too. I hope that you get as much out of this episode as I know I did. Joanne, thank you so much for joining the Growth with Girlfriends podcast. I'm so happy to have you here and actually physically here. I've never done a podcast with someone else with me in the same room. So thank you so much for joining. Well, it's my pleasure and it's fun to be in person. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be in person all the time, every day for work, <laughs> but things like this are a lot of fun in person. So thank you for inviting me over. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, why don't we start with, if you can just introduce the audience to your background, maybe share a little bit about your day job and then also what you've been doing outside of your day job with this fun new course that you've been running. For sure. So my day job, I've been working in IT for years, uh, project manager, people manager, vice president, and kind of everything in between, more on the management side. So learning all about systems and processes, which is very applicable to the world of finance. It's really about systems and processes. And what motivated me to learn more about personal finance was my general lack of enthusiasm for all things IT. (laughs) Really? So, you know, I've enjoyed my career, but I've always thought, I want to retire early. I want to not have to worry about money. And the sooner I can do that, the better. And then your day job is a lot more fun when you have less financial pressure. So, you know, it it was kind of a no-brainer to start to really pay attention to these concepts especially because they don't teach you much about personal finance in school. And a lot of times growing up, you know, money can be a hot topic within families. So you may not have learned the basics as a kid. And then that led me um, to teach a community ed class at a local college here where I get to talk about all things personal finance to the broader community, which I've really enjoyed a lot. That's awesome. And I was really surprised to hear when I asked about the demographics, like the makeup 
of this class. Like your your answer actually kind of surprised me. Would you like to share about sure. the, the class? Absolutely. Well, the majority of people in the class were all women. And women mostly between the age of about 45 and 55. Now, one of my friends drug her two young teenage nephews to the class, so (laughs) they did suffer through. Um, But really, it was women, and women asking really good questions and also trying to educate themselves. I think a few of them had some negative experiences with financial advisors or were maybe working with people, but was never really clear to them what they were invested in or why. So they just wanted to feel more empowered and have a safe space to have this conversation. I love that. I love women like taking taking hold of their future. That's Absolutely. So and you're never too young and you're never too old to, to really take control of your finances. One thing that I find with my friends is that there's this real hesitation to sometimes even jump into doing research on learning about, you know, money strategies mm-hmm. and personal finance in general, because there's almost this stigma that it's like, this is something that I was supposed to already know. And I like miss the boat in learning it. So I feel weird actually acknowledging that I don't feel confident. I, I get that. And it's, it's just something you have to forgive yourself for and not be ashamed of. Because money, for whatever reason, can be a taboo subject, and we are never encouraged to talk about money. And think about it. How do you learn about things? How do you learn about a new recipe? Or how do you learn about a place you want to go visit? Chances are you've talked about that thing with your friends. And growing up, and I think in particular for women, more so than not, we were told that talking about money is impolite. You would never ask somebody how much money they made or, you know, how much money their parents made. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine the, the scandal? And so, you know, you shouldn't be embarrassed. And it's, it's, an, it's a common occurrence. There's no place to learn about these things. High school doesn't teach you. A lot of our parents didn't have access to many of the savings vehicles that we have access to today. today so they can't tell you what they don't know about. And then, you know, thankfully, there's a lot of really great books out there today. Um, One of my personal favorites is The Simple Path to Wealth. I also love the book Women with Money. And then there's any number of good podcasts where we can, you know, quietly alone at home educate ourselves and then maybe think about starting a book club on The Simple Path to Wealth and spawning that conversation and then being able to learn from each other. So I think anyone who feels that way is not alone, and we have a real opportunity to break that cycle and just learn from each other. Yeah, and I think for a lot of my peers in their late 20s, early to mid-30s, there's so many new things in life, like buying your first home. Like No one knows how to do home maintenance until something breaks, and you have to YouTube it, and you have to figure it out, and you just you don't know, or having your first kid, like there's so many things that you go through in life that like you have to teach yourself. Right. And I think finance is one of those things too, where like, it's okay if you, if you weren't in a position to need to know the answers Mm -hmm. to the questions that you now have. So you've got a new job, you've got a 401k for the very first time, and you have no idea what these investments are. Well, it's, it's okay to feel a little nervous, but also recognize 
the importance of educating yourself. You know, I have a lot of friends who spend more time, you know, discussing the price of eggs and debating which carton to pick up versus discussing which mutual fund to buy based on the fees, which could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars versus a couple of bucks at the supermarket for whatever's on sale. So, you know, really taking the time to know what you're buying, because when it comes to investments, these are all products is exciting. It can be fun. It can be empowering. And, and there's really no way to get it wrong. There's only information and you only get smarter as you go. So just dive in and have fun with it. Yeah. Maybe find a buddy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I want to be investing with some of my girlfriends. Um, So back to the class that you have been teaching, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear what is the biggest takeaway that your students are having as they're starting to go a little bit deeper into personal finance? Sure. I I believe the biggest takeaway is, is almost twofold. The first thing is how little money it takes to build a lot of money over time. Mm. So especially if you start at a younger age and you've got a a 10 or a 20 or a 30 year horizon ahead of you, investing a little bit of money every month, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 50 bucks, consistently over time in a low cost, what I would say index fund, which we can talk about later, but a low fee fund where you're not paying a lot of money to get into that fund, you can really build a nest egg and you can just automate, put it in your account and not look at it. And then one day you're going to wake up and check that balance out and it'll blow your mind. And so I think when people talk about personal finance and investing, a lot of people think I need a lot of money to do investing because it takes money to make money. I mean, we all know that expression. It's not true. It doesn't take a lot of money to make a lot of money. And so walking away from that class with an understanding of of just being consistent over time and finding low-cost investment options can completely change your future. Mm-hmm. It's pretty exciting. It sounds like a piece of that too is like starting to learn about compound interest yes. and like that snowball. That's right. The, the power of compounding interest. And that means, you know, you buy something for a hundred dollars. It gets 10% interest. It's now worth $110. That $110 gets 10% interest, and it just compounds over time. So you make interest off of your interest, and that adds up exponentially. And then once you understand, and once my students really understood the power of compound interest working in your favor, you then realize what debt means because you've got compounding interest working against you in the wrong direction. And so just those fundamentals, a little bit of money goes a long way, compounded over time, and low-cost investment vehicles it was really the, the key takeaways. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. And I was just catching up with one of my girlfriends um, the other day, and she has a background in finance. She does corporate finance. And we were talking about decisions that she was making um, in her career and for her family. She is one child now, and she's doing family planning to think about, you know, having more. And she's having to make that decision of, okay, do I stay in the workforce now, bring in more money? When do I time my maternity leave? Do I extend that? And a lot of those conversations, I've I've had similar conversations like that with other girlfriends. It's very top of mind. But what was new for me was she actually brought up compound interest 
of being something that she was actively thinking about because for her child, she has 16, 17 years until that child goes off to college. And it's really important to her that she fund their education because that was something that her family did for her. Mm -hmm. And so since that's an important goal for her, like she understands that putting away money now will mean that she has to put away so much less money in the future. Absolutely. And it was shocking to me to just hear how that was feeding into her thought process about about work and whether she was going to stay in her career or not and timing. And, you know, I think planning for childhood education is, or planning for your child's future education is one thing, but um, it also applies for all of us too. Like if you have a 50 year, (laughs) you know, time period to invest Mm -hmm. and you're thinking about your entire length of your, your life, that's a lot longer than the 20 years you might have to save for a kid or if you really put it off and you only have 10 years before retirement you're going to have to just work so much harder and potentially put away a lot more money than if you were to just start very small today absolutely and you know if you consider the fact that women tend to outlive men by on average about seven years it's seven years it's seven years so even if Say you're 60 years old today and you've got a very healthy lifestyle with your husband, mm-hmm. you know, you could live to be 90. And I think a lot of people hit 60 and they think, oh my goodness, I haven't saved enough money. It's never too late to start. Yeah. Now you may choose different investments at that age or make some other different decisions, but but a little bit goes a long way. And so putting in that as much as you can every single month, whether it's a little bit or a lot does really have a huge impact. And, you know, I think people should feel empowered and encouraged for $50 a month. You know, a lot of people wouldn't, quote unquote, bother saving that amount because what's $50 a month? Oh, that's only what's a couple hundred bucks a year. But compounded, yeah, yeah, (laughs) compounded over time, it'll change your life. Yeah. You know, smart friend of yours, yes. And it's interesting how that could help you decide about family planning, because it's important. I mean, you can make your life easier by choosing things a slightly different way depending on what your goals are. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so before this um, podcast episode, I got a couple questions um, coming in through um, our community on Instagram. So you can follow us at Growth with Girlfriends on Instagram. I'd love to connect with you guys there. Uh, so love if you can help answer some of the questions that came up um, from our listeners. One of our listeners was asking what percentage of one's monthly salary should be put into savings every month with the goal of buying a house, just as an example. Mm -hmm. And this is from a millennial with typical expenses in student debt. That's a very good question. And what I would recommend is erring on the side of caution. And so what I mean by that is if you go talk to a real estate agent and they connect you with a mortgage lender, that mortgage lender is going to tell you that you can afford paying in a mortgage 30% of your gross income every single month. And since we all get our after-tax income deposited in our bank account, I don't know what my own gross income is, and I couldn't do that calculation on the fly. Same. Yes, probably the same with everybody. But that's what you're going to qualify for when you get your uh, mortgage pre-approved. 
that's probably where the agent is going to steer you to shop for in that price range. Once you start looking at houses in that upper price range, it's really hard to talk yourself down. <laughs> so, <laughs> you see the pretty marble, you see a lot of the cool walk-in stuff. closet when you've yes. been living in an apartment for a while. Exactly. So yeah. to be kind of hedge your bets and look out for yourself first, I would recommend saving 30% of your gross income every single month and see how that feels. And if that is something that you can manage and it's easy peasy, no problem, take 30%, not after tax, we're talking gross income, get used to living that way. And that will not only help you save a whole bunch of money, but it will also help you determine how much you can really afford so that you don't get swept up in the moment and end up purchasing something without really understanding how much money you're then going to be living off of every month once that mortgage is paid. And you should think about taxes, insurance, the mortgage payment, the whole thing. So I would start with 30% of your gross income um, and work from there. That makes a lot of sense. And I do think that um, for a lot of folks, you know, we are living our current lifestyle and it can be hard to imagine what it would look like to just not have an extra 200 bucks or however much that might be mm-hmm. when it's, you know, the coffee stops and, you know, just all the ways that we're living our lives today where we might not be thinking about where our money is going. So exactly. I love that advice of like forcing yourself yeah. to actually live with 30% less mm-hmm. and see how you like it. Cause see you, you actually might want to rent for a little while yeah. longer or, or get a smaller house, Yeah, you know, cause once yeah. you get to the point where you're shopping and once you're approved for that amount of money, it can be tough, you know? So you're really yeah. going to want to kind of max out at the beginning mm-hmm. and then see if maybe 20% is a better number for you when you actually go shopping for that home. Yeah. And and that makes so much sense too, because like, even if you don't end up spending money in house, you now have a nest egg for however yes. you want to live your life. Absolutely. I love that. So another question uh, from our community, my husband and I have a hard time keeping a budget because we both work freelance and our income and expenses changes so much month to month. What do you recommend? Well, that is a a common problem in this gig economy that we're all now living in. And I expect many of your listeners are in a similar situation. And if they're not today, they probably will be tomorrow. So what I would recommend in that situation is keeping a substantial buffer in your Mm -hmm. checking account. You know, a lot of people like to just pay their bills every month and then move the rest into savings kind of in an automated fashion or keep as lean amount as possible in an active checking account so they can keep a bigger amount in their emergency fund. But if your expenses and things and income are going up and down with a with a fairly f- high frequency, I would keep probably three times what you think your expenses might be on average in a very liquid account so that you don't have to lose sleep over it. And there's going to be some months when you're like, whoo, I'm cutting it a little close. And there's going to be some months where you're staring at an extra couple thousand dollars in that account. But what you will have is peace of mind. And it's almost like you build in your emergency fund just into ask. that liquid pot of money so that you can ride the waves out. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what I would do. Keep a big fat pot of cash in that account as much as is reasonably possible yep. and, and give yourself a break and be able to sleep better. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I have a friend who uh, was saying that he was just having a hard time even knowing how much money he was making Mm -hmm. because his company would reimburse all of his expenses. So his personal expenses were always the same, Mm -hmm. but the actual income he was making so much to reimburse for the, the work expenses, that is the part that fluctuated so much. And after we talked through it, it seemed that he should be able to actually isolate his own personal expenses and kind Mm -hmm. of back into the other big important parts of the equation of, okay, if I know what my expenses are month to month, I then can budget. And I also can forecast how much money I'm making outside of what the work expenses piece is too. Right. Um, So I have to imagine that's probably common for a lot of other folks too. Oh, for sure. And over time, you know, you should get enough data. And if you, you know, every single month, you check in at least once a month and kind of see what's coming in and what's going out, you'll start to see Mm -hmm. some averages Um, become reality over time. And that only makes your circumstances easier to plan for. Um, But when in doubt, pad your account. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Oh, that's great advice. I do love that. Um, So I'm curious to hear a little bit about your own personal process for budgeting. Sure. How often do you look at your accounts? How often do you revisit your strategies? Well, I am a firm believer in automation. So I've always paid myself first, even when I've had periods of having some consumer debt or mortgage debt or whatever, always pay yourself first and always automate it. So that's a big... What does that mean to you? What that means to me is, well, there's the easy one, direct deposit from my employer. I've been a W-2 employee for most of my life. So automated paycheck deposit, which I think is pretty common these days, But then also automatically depositing into my 401k and then automatically moving money into my savings account, automatically moving money into my brokerage account, then you can automatically move your brokerage account money into different funds every month. So you can automate, automate, automate. Then I like to live off of what's left. So let's say I take a third of my paycheck automatically put it into a number of different savings vehicles. And then I live off of what's left. So my consumer spending is not based on what goes in my bank account just from my paycheck. It's Mm. after what goes in, then I pay myself in all these great ways. Then whatever's left goes towards the vacation or the car payment or, you know, Christmas shopping or whatever it may be. So that's something that I'm a firm believer in. And then um, every month I sit down and look at, well, I use mint.com. So that's a a free account where you can link it to all of your investment accounts, savings, checking, home value, credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. So you have one dashboard where you can see everything. And then every month I like to go in and look at all my credit card transactions. You know, make sure I wasn't double charged or overcharged, Mm. make sure there's no fraud And then understand how much am I spending on groceries or how much am I spending on entertainment or dang, I went to sushi three times last month. I know, Whole Foods and my downfall. (laughs) And then also, you know, within that, I do make sure I give money to charity every single month, you know, because that's another automatic uh, payment that goes out into the world. Yeah. Um, So I make sure those charitable contributions came out. So Mint is a nice way to see everything at once. And then if you see something fishy, you can, you know, log into your bank account and do a little more digging. 
But that allows me every month to look at those bigger categories of spending. For me, I like to keep my categories to like eight, you know, groceries, car insurance, whatever it might be. I don't like to overcomplicate or micromanage. And then I, I take stock and whatever's left after that month is either play money or I put it back into savings in some kind of way. So, but I like to look at it monthly. I like to use Mint. I don't put any apps on my phone because I would probably become obsessive and way <laughs> overcheck everything for no good reason, you know? So I like to have to physically log onto my computer you know, sit with my husband, we kind of look at things together, make it a two hour process. And I look forward to it because it gives me a sense of accomplishment, a sense of empowerment, a sense of control over the decision process. And then I can tweak things, you know, as it becomes relevant, or as I learn more information or my circumstances change. Yeah. So that's been my process for a long time. And, uh, with regards to my investments, for the most part, it's set it and forget it. I don't buy and sell. I don't really check into my investments every month. I, I really have a strategy and I let those ride, but I at least make sure the money is automated and it's going in every month. I have these questions that I've been asking myself now over the last couple of months where um, I, I tie them to my goals and I really ask myself, have I spent any money this month, investing in myself, mm-hmm. investing in my relationship, um, investing in my friendships. And then, you know, there's a couple, a handful of questions that are like that. So I make sure that I'm actually spending money in areas that are really important to me because I can go the other direction as well. And I think a lot of people can, when they really focus on their budget, you know, there's almost this course correction to the completely opposite side where it's like, I don't want to spend any money that isn't my house, my car, and a bill where creditors will call me if I don't pay it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think coming back to like your values and really making sure that your money is going to things that are important to you is important. Absolutely. And you know, oftentimes when I've gone through periods of intense stress, no matter what's going on, I have found that my money just becomes a way to soothe myself. Like I spend it on ice cream or some trip that I really couldn't afford, you know? So I think your point is so important, which is there's an emotional component to managing your money. It's a tool that if you're in tune with your emotions and you're in tune with what you really need, you can use your money to further those good things in your life Mm -hmm. and really invest consciously in yourself versus using money as a way just to make yourself feel better in the moment whether it's buying something you can't afford or maybe having one too many margaritas. <laughs> We've all been there. So money is is really a tool that our emotions and our values can guide very effectively. But yeah. you have to be conscious. You know, you have to really be conscious about money and uh, in your values and make sure they're they're in line. Yeah, that that's a great point. And when I think back to, you know, when I got my first job and I was moving to Boston, creating a budget even when I had very little money and my goal was like can I even build an emergency fund Mm -hmm. over the period of six months like I was very early on um even just having that plan really gave me so much security Mm -hmm. and so I think it it was less about how much money I had or didn't have and it was more about having a plan 
so that I wouldn't have to worry about money. Absolutely. I mean, every dollar has a job. You know, you have a job, but your dollars have jobs too. And so if you give every single one of your dollars a job, they're going to get their work done. (laughs) You know, they're going to start working for you, which is fantastic. You know, make them work. Yeah. Give them some jobs. I like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing that I'm different from some people on, and I wonder, you know, after hearing that, if you would actually fall into my camp as well, is like the points that you get back on your credit card. I always just treat them as like, those are real dollars in my savings account. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't go out and like buy a fancy thing or like use them in a way other than cash. Because to me, like the utility is... It's a, a dollar is a dollar, right. whether it is in an account that tries to get me to spend money because they label it rewards or if it's sitting in my my checking account or savings account. We could do a whole episode on credit card <laughs> rewards because I tell you what, they have come a long way. Really? Oh my gosh. I, have I would love to hear about it. Oh, that I just stay <sighs> away from it because I don't know enough wow. and it's just something that like I don't want to... It's overextend myself. I get it completely. Yeah. Well, as as just as a sidebar, you know, one thing I didn't mention about how I manage my money and how I budget every month is I put one hundred percent of my spend on a credit card every single month, and every single month I pay that off in full. Yep. And I get all of those reward points, and there are now ways where you can turn those rewards, in particular, into free travel. And get so much free travel that it, 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 I don't even hardly need a travel budget anymore. Really? Yeah. So that's, oh my gosh, I'm behind on this. Yeah. All right, I need to, I need to look into that. Well, uh, yeah, for sure. The Chase Sapphire and the Chase Southwest card in particular. So I have the really Chase good. one, but I've been doing it to receive money back, not no, points. I learned. So it's better about the. Oh, it's better to the use points. the points. Okay. Pile it all in the points, and there are ways then to even use that points. Those points that are more advantageous than others, which I've also Ooh. learned. So use them as points. Okay. And then, real quick sidebar. For example, you need a United flight. You've got a hundred thousand Chase Sapphire points. Mm-hmm. You can go look up the United flight. You actually transfer those Chase Sapphire points to United.com, and you can get a better mm. deal that way versus even buying the flight from Sapphire from Chase directly. So oh there's little God. tips and tricks on travel rewards, and I have some uh, references that I can send you, and it's it's magical. Oh my gosh! So this is both great and painful because mm-hmm. I just spent over seven hundred dollars for my Christmas flight. Yeah back home on United. This is why we talk about money. (laughs) This is why we talk about money because we all get smarter, you know? And now I won't be, uh, you know, swiping past the TikTok guys that are talking about all the points. I'll have to actually pay attention. Pay attention. It is, it is a whole new world. I had my eyes open probably two, three years ago and I've never looked back (laughs) and I've never once then used my points for cash ever again. Really? They're worth five times that much in points for a flight. Wow. It's crazy. And hotels and travel and okay. trips. And, yeah. That is great to it's know. Awesome. Read the fine print. And there's a bunch of hacks out there and just, mm. oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this energy is reminding me of like back in the day. So I, I mentioned when I was like first budgeting mm-hmm. in my first job and I was obsessed with uh, the crazy coupon lady, crazycouponlady.com. Yeah. And it was a very big deal. And I just... I was using coupons for everything. And um, yeah, it just was like this whole huge thing. Like a movement. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, points on credit cards are a movement. <laughs> I'll see if I can dig up some details and share them with you next time we get Thank together. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and we'll put them in the show notes um, if we if we find anything worth sharing. That would be great. Definitely. Um, so speaking of technology. Yes. And given your background, I would love to hear some of your perspectives on phone apps. It sounds like you try to not use phone apps, particularly for for finance-related situations. You mentioned that you like Mint. There's so many tools out there. I would love your philosophy. So my philosophy is a couple of things. Tools are meant to be used thoughtfully. However, oftentimes in the days now of finance apps, they can be confused with social media apps. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have too much quick access to too much volatile information and it can trigger you emotionally. It triggers me emotionally. You know, for example, very recently when COVID first hit in 2020, you all remember the stock market took a dive. The market went down 30% in about a week. Well, because I've been down this dark road before and I have a long-term investment strategy, I did not log on to any of my accounts. I looked at nothing. I did nothing. I just went on about my business, turned off the news, turned off the radio, and within 60, 90 days, everything was back up and then some, and the stock market has been on a tear ever since. I have a friend or two who got caught up in the emotion and the fear and the news bites of that moment and sold a lot of stuff that was even within their 401k that they weren't even going to touch for a decade, took it out of stocks, put it in cash, panic, panic, panic. Well, they came to regret that because when they went to go back into the market, they ended up selling low, and then they were getting back into it much higher, and they just lost a ton of money. And if your phone app allows you really quick access to especially your longer-term investments, oh boy, I just don't think that's a good combination. It wouldn't be a good combination for me, so therefore, I just don't mess with it. I really just don't mess with it because I want to take care of myself. That's where self-care comes in. You know, if we've got Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn on our phone, you know, raise your hand if you never look at any of those for a whole week. No one's got their hand up, at least not in this room. (laughs) So if your money is out there too, especially your investments, I mean, just recognize that that could be trouble. Mm -hmm. emotionally and you may end up pushing a button in the heat of that moment that you will come to deeply regret later and it could impact your life so I'm not a huge fan of phone apps Um, but that's just my personality I like to thoughtfully have to sit down and log on and go through everything once a month I still use you know the the desktop version (laughs) of those applications but that's my thought process Um, And it can also sort of gamify your investments and you can get really caught up in the meme stocks with Robinhood and it's, I mean, Robinhood's a great platform and they've given a lot of really good access to really good products to a lot of people. However, you can, you can kind of get sucked in to the news of the day and you can start looking at GameStop and, you know, what is it, Dogecoin and everything else. And before you know it, you've put $5,000 in on a dog. (laughs) It's a meme. 
that, you know, everyone's waiting for Elon Musk to give his big thing on Saturday Night Live and it goes from 76 cents to 20 cents and and it's just stuck down there. So it's also, you don't want to get caught up in all of that unless you really just have money to burn, in which case recognize that it's a game and and know that you're playing the game. But for serious long-term investors and people that put self-care first, Know yourself well <laughs> before you expose yourself to that kind of volatility. Yeah, and from a budgeting standpoint, I just don't know how you can do it and actually be thoughtful on a tiny little screen. Absolutely. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff you need to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and checking in is one thing. Like, you know, I, I actually, the only thing I, I do on my phone with finance um, is I actually check in on my credit statement there. Mm-hmm. So I can quickly just scan to see, like you mentioned, just, hey, does anything look weird that's like a fraud right. issue? Other than that, I close it out. But yeah, from a budgeting perspective, like I can't imagine not doing it on my laptop right. or at least a tablet. And then to add on to that, One uh, security risk that phone apps could present, for example, you're at the airport, you're on the airport Wi-Fi, you are logging in to Mint or to Robinhood or to anything else, your Wells Fargo account, using that airport Wi-Fi that's pretty open and somewhat easily hackable, you want to really be careful. I mean, that could be a real security hazard. You could have your identity stolen. So if you're tempted to check your accounts a lot and you're out in public and you're using public internet, that could be a recipe for some real trouble. That is such great advice mm-hmm. and why I'm glad you, you have a background in IT and tech. That's right. So thank you for that. <laughs> yep. And you know, another thing you mentioned too on, on the gamification side, I've seen apps come out where it is very clear that the founders have great intentions, mm-hmm. where they are really trying to help a class of people who are very new to the whole realm of like financial literacy Mm -hmm. and they're trying through gamification to build good habits but the way that they're doing so is actually bypassing needing to ever actually learn and make decisions so like an app that actually really concerns me is the app acorns Mm -hmm. that just takes you know for Every um, charge that that you make with your credit card, they will just round up a dollar and they put that change in an account for you so it builds up over time. And I think on the surface, that sounds really nice. You know, you just add in your spare change into a piggy bank. It's the same as, you know, back in the day if you would walk in the house and drop some change in a piggy bank. And I get that. I get where it came from and I get the good intention. But I think it bypasses potentially needing to learn about, no, what am I intentionally saving? Well, and last time I checked, no one became a millionaire off the tip jar at Starbucks. And so you don't want to be complacent and think, this is a great savings vehicle. I'm going to make a difference in my life by putting, rounding up my spare change and putting it basically into what? Into what account is Acorn setting up for you, are they then loaning that money out at a high interest rate and Probably. giving you no money? <laughs> your, ba- your money isn't just sitting there being untouched. They're yeah. using that money for something. It doesn't sound like you're necessarily investing that money, although maybe you could be, but I see no value add. There's something in it for them. They're probably using your money to fund other initiatives, getting an interest payment off of that loan, 
giving you little to nothing for the use of your money, I think you're right. It, it, it's a nice idea, but it's a nice idea for, for somebody who's maybe younger, like still living at home with their parents, and they've got access to their parents' credit card, and it's kind of their parents are helping them learn about paying credit cards off and rounding and that kind of thing. But as a grown woman, we can all do so much better. I mean, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely, we can do so much better. Plus, I don't like giving money to institutions and I don't know what they're doing with it. Yeah, it's similar to Venmo too, right? Like such an awesome app. And like, I love that Venmo used the power of social Mm -hmm. like engagements to actually make it cool to show some interest in money. Like I actually think that Venmo might be one of the first times for a lot of people, especially in like the millennial generation, that they're actually even talking about money. Right. So it's great from that aspect. But if you leave a big balance in there, they're just making money off of that. They're making money off of that. You're not even getting the the piddly little interest that you'd get from your checking account. You know, they're not paying you anything. And so you have to be careful. Use those services for what they're intended, which for Venmo is for me to pay you you know, and if it's if I'm not paying a fee for that service, it's like a one to three day transaction time frame. I know that Venmo's loaning my money out behind the scenes and getting paid for all that, but it's worth it for the convenience of me being able to Venmo you. So what if it takes one to three days? But that's a conscious decision that I am making, and I know that they're making money off me, but I get a service for free, and that's okay. But if I know people who will just leave their money in Venmo until they want to turn around and pay somebody or buy something or whatever, it's not a checking account. You know, really understand where your money is. Your money has a job. And when you, for example, leave your dollars in a Venmo account, your little dollars are working for Venmo. They're not working for you. That doesn't sound very fair. (laughs) You want your dollars working for your jobs that you have for them, not Venmo's jobs that Venmo has for them. Yeah, that's actually the perfect kickoff to plug our next episode where we're going to go deeper into investing and really being thoughtful about interest rates and who is making money off of your money and being thoughtful about that. We can talk a lot about fees, expense ratios, why they matter, index funds over actively managed funds. I mean, I could talk about this stuff for days. Perfect. We're going to do it (laughs) and we're going to make it really fun for our audience. And we have some more audience questions to go through too that are specific to investing. So I'm excited for us to answer those. And for everyone listening, uh, please follow Growth with Girlfriends, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tune in for the next one as well. Thanks for joining us, guys.